Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rethink Retail. I'm your host, Julia Hare. And today you'll hear from Chris Gerbig, the president of Pink Lily. This brand has grown its revenue to over $100 million since its launch in 2014, making it one of the fastest growing women's clothing retailers in the U.S., Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful to have you on. I wanted to start from the beginning. So take us back to 2014. What did that look like when you and Tori were imagining Pink Lily? I might actually start a couple years prior to that, okay. just to kind of give you the, the lead up. So we both worked regular corporate jobs, typical American family. We had student loans, we had debt, we had a mortgage and young children, and we were just trying to find ways to make a little extra money to pay our student loans off. So we had tossed around a few ideas and what we settled on was self-storage units back, say 10 years ago, they were the storage unit auctions. There's a TV show now, I think Storage Wars. Mm -hmm. We would go to these storage unit auctions and buy them and whatever trinkets or, or random things we would find, we would sell those online on eBay and Etsy. We had a bit of success uh, and it kind of opened our eyes to the, the possibility of e-commerce. So we shifted from these storage units and we tried to find online suppliers that would sell us clothing, accessories, merchandise, uh, just a lot of random things. We opened up a, a eBay store and an Etsy store. We did that for a few months and it slowly moved into more clothing. We opened up a, a Etsy store for clothing and an eBay store and my wife had a local Facebook group. It gained popularity as well. We ended up getting almost 10,000 people in this local Facebook group. We were meeting people in parking lots at all hours of the day, selling hats and scarves out of the trunk of our car. It was, it was crazy to look back on, but it, it opened our eyes to the opportunity. And one day we sat down and said, Hey, let's just have a website and we'll ship all this out. We don't have to meet people in person. So in 2014, we opened pinklily.com on January 1st and we launched the business and we never looked back. That is a wild story, Chris. I think <laughs> I wouldn't have imagined you'd say it started with storage unit bidding. This was pre-Facebook Marketplace, is that correct? This was pre-Facebook Market, yeah. Yes, we had a Facebook group, but it wasn't the actual Marketplace. Okay, so that's interesting because it sounds like, in a way, you built a community first, in a we sense. We did, exactly. Very cool. And then you decided to launch this website. This was 2014 timeline. Can you t tell us a little bit about how online e-commerce was at that time? E-commerce was, it existed, but there weren't as many small businesses doing it in, in the way that we did. There was a lot of Facebook groups and things like that, but having an actual e-commerce website where we used social media to drive traffic to the site, that was still relatively new. So we dove right in, we had corporate jobs. Within three months, my wife quit her job. Within six months, I quit my job. And we basically said, we're going to do this full time. It was a lot different back then, but originally we, we really relied heavily on Facebook to drive traffic to the site. We did a lot of contests and giveaways, and that was still pretty new back in 2014. Uh, so it really helped us out to be kind of first to market, to, to have a fashion brand using Facebook to drive traffic. And it worked out. It worked out really well. And did you guys do the modeling or or how did that work? Originally, we we did some of the modeling. Tori did some. Uh, our first employee was actually my sister-in-law and everything was run out of my dining room at that point. So it was a very small operation, one laptop, a couple clothing racks, and we would just shoot the pictures in my backyard. 
very low budget. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any like private equity investment or venture capital of a few hundred dollars we had in savings. So we really didn't have any budget to have actual models. We just took pictures on each other and uh, it worked because the marketing right. was done well. So absolutely it worked and, and you grew it to millions of dollars, a hundred million in sales. So mm-hmm. uh, humble beginnings. I, I always think it's fun to hear about how you hustle and get things done despite the lack of resources at the beginning and make it work. And when did the name come around? So I'm assuming you had the name when you launched the website. Was that something that people already were familiarized with in the Facebook group? Was it the name of the Facebook group? We tossed around a lot of ideas. And ultimately, the name was was Tori's idea. So her favorite color was pink. Her mom had just beaten breast cancer. So we want to incorporate the word pink in there. Tori's grandmother, her favorite flower was a lily, and she had just recently passed away. We put those two together. It sounded good. And we launched Pink Lily. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, congratulations to both you and Tori on growing Pink Lily so quickly. You know, in retail, in B2B, we cover the technology side of things a lot. Were there any things that really helped you become successful, tools, tricks, tech platforms, anything you can mention for those listening? In e-commerce, there's so much data available. And I, I don't think we were ready for that much data. For example, I like to give is if I have a store and I have a billboard on the side of the highway, and people drive by, I don't know if there's any ROI on that billboard whatsoever. E-commerce is different because of course you have Google Analytics, you have all these KPIs. I can tell exactly where that customer came from, what ad they clicked on, their age, their demographic, how much money they spent, the website they were on prior to coming. So I think the analytics pieces, and there's so many, we're on Shopify, which I also recommend Shopify as one of the better e-commerce platforms. But I think any kind of data analytics tool is gonna be so incredibly helpful to understand your customer, your traffic, your revenue sources, what ads are working, what ads aren't working. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I think that that's the number one step in in having a solid business is understanding what's working, what's not. And with e-commerce, there's just, there's so much data available. Absolutely. And I think that's Peter Drucker quote, right? The father of Mm -hmm. management. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's him. What gets measured gets managed. So love mm-hmm. that, Chris. When we talk about fashion, you can't talk about fashion without the word sustainability these days. It's really important, but the consumer demands drive fashion and it it changes rapidly. So how does Pink Lily incorporate some of those principles into operations? First of all, we, we try to make sure that the vendors and suppliers we use have the same standards. So we make sure that they meet certain metrics and sustainability and, and pollution and and even labor standards. But then on our side, we do a lot to make sure that some of the resources and materials we use in the warehouse, our packaging is sustainable. A lot of companies, when they have old obsolete inventory, they'll just destroy it. We actually donate it to either local establishments that need clothing, or we've donated some to Ukraine or overseas. A lot of times we'll, we'll run our order list. And if the same customer has ordered twice within a certain day period, we'll combine that order. So we have less shipping less materials out. We do a lot of recycling in the warehouse. We try to do as much as we can to make sure that we're meeting some sort of sustainability initiatives. Good to hear you're not burning the things that don't sell. Apparently it's more common than I thought. It is, unfortunately, but I think that there's so much visibility now that it's mm-hmm. it's harder for companies to do things the you know non-ethical way. But it sounds like you guys do your due diligence for sure, and that is something that we highly respect. If you think about collaboration and partnerships, and the importance when it comes to getting a D2C brand awareness, especially among your target customers. I'm assuming you work with a number of influencers. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. 
Okay. And when did that come about? How's your experience been? Do you have any advice for for other D2Cs or retailers who have dipped their toe into the influencer marketing space or are interested in expanding? We've tried to be first to market on a lot of the different marketing campaigns that we've used, whether it's social media marketing back in 2014 or uh, the paid ads, Google ads um, campaign. Same with the influencers. So we launched our influencer program back in 2018 when it was still relatively new. And we've used probably thousands of influencers at this point. Thousands. Wow. Back back in, yeah, we, we've generated, I wouldn't say most of our revenue, but a large portion of our revenue from influencer sales. And we've dedicated a lot of our marketing budget to just strictly influencers. Back in 2018, 2019, the ROI was extremely high when it was still somewhat new. It's definitely calmed down a bit now that more influencers are out there and more companies are using influencers, you're just not getting the same bang for your buck. The Uh, micro and the nanos. Exactly. And we've used both. We've used the very large influencers that everybody's heard of. And then we've used what we call our our ambassadors, which are smaller influencers who still get paid a commission to go and and promote the products. We've, We've done everything in between. I would say for a new business who's trying to understand how to get into the influencer game, definitely use that that data that's available. So we run an influencer report at the end of each month. Every influencer we use gets their own unique code. We'll run that code and identify the sales that were brought in so we can, you know, compare that to the rate paying them and, and we can know, is there an ROI? Are we getting a return for this influencer? Mm-hmm. And we just go down the list one by one. And if, if they're not bringing in revenue and if they're not really... If it's not worth it, we can't use them anymore. So I would say, again, that's another reason why the data, looking at the data is so helpful because it helps you, you know, be smarter with your ad spend. Sure. And Chris, when you look at the data, and I know it probably changes, but with the larger influencers who do typically charge more, do you see better return going with someone like that or the smaller influencer who's a brand ambassador that reflects the brand well, or maybe a little bit more? It all varies on the on the person, to be honest. So okay. we've used some really popular celebrity influencers and we didn't really get a return, but we've used much, much smaller say fashion bloggers who may not mm-hmm. have the number of followers, but they're strictly in the fashion space and we get a fantastic return. So it all depends on on really just who the person is, what industry they're in. Do their followers trust them enough to actually buy what they suggest or are their followers just following them because they're entertaining and, and funny? You know, it, it's a big gamble. So we, we've, you've got to try it out and see what works and just run the numbers. And it seems like you guys have a pretty strong and loyal customer base. Are there things you do specifically to maintain the relationship or do you do email marketing, loyalty programs? Can you talk on that a bit? We, we do all the all the email marketing loyalty programs that most companies do. But I would say there's two things that we try to do to the best of our ability. And one is provide an amazing customer experience. So whether it's the website or if they need to reach out to customer service or the timeliness that we ship their order, we try and do that to the best of our ability to make sure that that customer experience is just top notch. Number two, we do a lot of behind the scenes on our social media pages. So whether it's taking a tour of the warehouse or here's Chris's office, here's Tori making a graphic tee. So when they go to Vegas to buy, they'll do live videos and say, hey, do you like green or the red dress? And customers will comment in real time and it makes them feel like they're actually part of the decision process. And we've been doing that since since day one. And the, the followers really enjoy seeing that behind the scenes piece. And it it kind of makes that special connection or a little bit more engagement than if it was just some large corporation with without a face to the name, if that makes sense. And I think it speaks to you and Tori's ability to maximize social media's effectiveness in your marketing, because it mm-hmm. sounds like that was at the the core of 
how you built the community through social media and then right. launched. So, you know, Jeff Bezos, love him or hate him, he talks famously about swinging for the fences, going mm -hmm. big, taking risks. Are there any initiatives that stick out to you over the course of the past, you know, 10 or so years now that you were like, wow, that was that was risky, but it either, you know, succeeded and it was great or it failed and we learned a big lesson from it. At the beginning of the pandemic, in say February or March of 2020, we um, we found ourselves sitting on millions of dollars of inventory of Easter dresses, concert dresses, vacation wear, dresses for graduation and Mother's Day, and none of it was selling. Our sales volume literally just tanked within a few days, and we had no idea what to do. We knew that the stay-at-home, work-from-home remote movement was coming. We maxed out our credit cards, our business line of credit, everything we had, we put it all into casual wear athleisure, yoga pants, hoodies, all of that. It was very risky because we didn't really use debt a lot in the business and we were a completely debt-free company. But we put everything we had into these casual wear that people were gonna wear just sitting at home and working from home. And it turned out to be the right move. We doubled our business in 2020. That was one of the first years we did $100 million in revenue and it all worked out. But without taking that calculated risk, without having some appetite for risk, it wouldn't have happened. The business might've gone bankrupt in 2020. That is amazing. So for those listening, I mean, you and Tori put your house on the line, essentially. I mean, your, your yeah. personal assets were on the line and you said, let's, mm -hmm. let's just risk it. This is the trend that we're accurately predicting. Yeah, and I mean, it was you have to be able before, to. Right? It was before it was big, you know, on the Today Show or on the news. Hey, everyone's wearing athleisure. Dresses are right. out. Wear your sweats. What did that feel like? Once we realized that it was the right choice, it felt great. Okay. <laughs> but the, the three to four weeks, in, in the middle when we didn't really know if it was the right choice, that was a little bit rough, but you have to be able to pivot. You have to be ready and able to pivot when the market changes, when your customer preferences change. And if you just hold on, continue doing exactly what you've done for 10 years and, and not have a risk to change anything, you know, that may not work out for you. But if you're able to pivot and you're ready to pivot when you need to, and you have some level of adaptability, good things can happen. Spoken like a, a true retailer, Chris. <laughs> Retailers are a very resilient bunch yeah. and definitely not scared of keeping up with consumers, which is really tough to do versus mm -hmm. other industries. So hats off to you. When we talk about leadership, I would like to round out the conversation today with you, Chris. Ben Horowitz says that nothing prepares you to run a company. Everyone learns to be a founder by being a founder. And as the president of Pink Lily, are there any lessons that you can share with our listeners? Any things that you can impart on them as we close out today? One thing we, we learned, and I would say, I guess we learned it the hard way, is when you own a company and when you found a company, nobody is going to care as much as you do. And it took us a while to really understand that because we would have fantastic employees, but you know, how come they didn't update the website at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday? Now, how come they're not, you know, going above and beyond all the time? And let me say again, we have great employees, but there's a level of, of caring that you, the owner is going to have that no one else will have. It's just, they're not going to. And it took us a while to really understand that. And once we both finally got that through to us, that as the owner, we're going to have a level of passion that no one else has because our assets are involved, our future's involved, you know, we've blood, sweat, and tears. So I think understanding that is, is very helpful. So you don't hold everybody to unreasonable standards that no one will ever meet. Once we figure that out, a lot of the stress went away. I can understand that. That's that's a good point. Well, thank you, Chris Skirbeck, for being on the show. It was amazing to have you on today to talk a little bit about Pink Lily and the story behind it and your tips and tricks and leadership and growing a D2C brand and a fashion brand. So thank you so much. And I hope to see you again on the show or in person at any of our upcoming events. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.